so I'll never forget one time sitting with someone not too long ago and um, we were doing the process with her but then I said to her go ahead if you feel comfortable she had two partners and she said if you feel like bringing these questions to them and it feels safe and comfortable and you're interested in their game you ask them any of these questions so she asked one of them the question about what is the erotic and he was just like he couldn't get past fishnets it was like it was all fishnets it was like 24 7 fishnets you know and for this this the my main client it's like she is a fucking force of nature like wow her expression of the erotic is so many things it's mystical it's non-verbal it's deeply neurodivergent i mean so many things you know <laughs> so we were like all right we got some fishnets <laughs> hi there i'm gwyn isaacs and this is what excites us the show that discusses sex and sexuality through time and place. And today we have a special bonus episode that includes the galaxy, too. I'm talking with Linda River Valente about astrology and how we can use it to learn more about ourselves and how it affects our love and sex life, among other things. She also tells us about some important things happening in the sky right now and a little bit of a heads up for what is coming for winter. Linda is an astrologer, tarot visionary, witch, holistic sexuality educator, burlesque performer, and producer who lives in Vermont with her husband, son, and their handsome and beloved ginger tomcat. Because she goes into information regarding November, I wanted to bring this to you sooner than later. But that is only a piece of the discussion. It is all really great stuff, so it is well worth listening to even if you are hearing it later than November of 2021. I do want to give you a quick heads up that our Wi-Fi's were acting wonky that day, so there are a few moments where she sounds a little funny. But really, it is so worth it. This episode of What Excites Us is brought to you by me. I'm Gwyn Isaacs, and besides being your podcast host, I'm a certified sex coach and educator. And right now, I have some openings for text-based clients. I love coaching over email and text. It allows you to be open and vulnerable in ways that may feel too difficult in person, which lets us tackle the concerns you have at your own pace. Very few of us were taught how to have sex. Most of us are feeling our way through the dark, hoping we get it right. I can help you build skills in the bedroom and navigate your intimate relationships. I have two ways you can sign up to start texting with me right away. When you go to earthlydesire.com coaching, you will find a weekly subscription for daily correspondence and a way to schedule a live one hour text chat visit earthlydesire.com to start on your path of more pleasure today. You deserve it. Hi, Linda. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. This is wonderful. Besides being an astrologer and an artist, psychic to some degree, I imagine, you are also trained in, in sex and sexuality. Yeah, I'm a holistic sexuality educator, and I did coursework through um, ISEE, 
And this is, um, this is a body of work, sex education, not necessarily sex. I didn't do the sex therapy track, though. There's a whole ton of therapeutic technique that I use with clients for sure. But the sex educator track was a way um, for me to sort of live out some parts of my chart that were um, angling for a little bit of attention in the front. Um, and this would be, for example, my Taurus rising, which is deeply about sensuality and sexuality, the tactile, the sensuous, and then a giant Scorpio stellium that I have as well, right? So all of those things about depth and mystery and the erotic. Um, so for me, it, it was this way to say, I would love to have conversations with people about sex and sensuality and intimacy. And I would like to fucking help people feel like they have someone to speak to about this starting at any point, starting exactly where they are with no kind of preconception of needing to know something or have experience to it. Like it's just come and let's start talking and let's use the dialogue for learning and growing. And then that I merge that work with um, my astrology because sexual astrology is a specialty of mine. And then I also merge that work in just the general counsel that I do, as well as my art. I also um, perform and produce in burlesque. So all of those come together. So if someone comes to you, just they don't even know why they're coming to you. Do you start with a chart? I do ask for their chart information and I tell them that if it works for them where I would love to start, because it's where we hit, we get right into the fucking realness straight out of the gate if we start with the chart. So I definitely listen to where are they? What are their needs and desires? Where are they not feeling supported? And where could they use some clarity and brainstorming? And then we pop into the chart and I reconcile what they have let me know they need as well as what I can see from the transits and placements in their chart. And we go from there. Yeah. So do you find yourself teaching a lot of the time while you're going through it? I, I know that you have with me, but I don't know that everybody wants that. Yes. Oh, I definitely do because I feel like what better playground to be able to learn and understand this symbolic language than your own chart. So I am, I find, well, I also have a Jupiter rising, which makes me an absolute natural born teacher for better or worse, right? Where that um, being able to translate knowledge and turn that into wisdom, that's a really important piece for me. So yes, while we're working along and I'm maybe explaining to somebody what one of the placements in their chart is and what that could look like for someone with a chart like that, I turn these into kind of like mini lessons or teaching moments so that they can hold that and it helps their chart cohere more I think yeah that makes a lot of sense so back yep, in the you. 70s 80s I don't I don't it's 80s I guess because I was cognizant uh Linda Goodman was very popular and her thing was about love and yes. love and astrology and I'm wondering how different is it in the chart between love and sex? 
That's a great question. And um, what I'll start doing with people when I'm doing the chart work is I begin with their Venus and Mars placement. So regardless of assigned sex or gender at birth, regardless of our fluid orientation, any regardless of any of those pieces, all of us in our little stellar snapshot there, we have a Venus and a Mars. And the way that I speak about Venus is that Venus is our relational aspect, how we do love and friendship and collaboration. She's additionally how we do wealth and resources and aesthetics. But that element of the relationality of love is present in a Venus. And then we look at our Mars. And our Mars is like the engine or the driver in the chart where you've got big agency and momentum. It's really like makes it happen. By looking at your Mars, you can see how do I get shit done? And when we look at our Mars, it certainly does start to give us a sense of the sexual as opposed to just the love, the impulse of love, right? So it gives us a stretched out picture. We can look at both the Venus and the Mars placements. That's a primary way to do it. My like absolute sweethearts though are the asteroids. I find that when we take the main planets, the Venus and Mars, and we layer in more and more story through our asteroid placements, we get things in more detail. And particularly when it comes to love and sex, there are certain asteroids which speak to those angles. I think about, um, for example, Eros and Psyche. So Eros and Psyche are about the story of spiritualized love. But Eros in a chart can indicate our erotic impulse and Psyche in a chart can indicate our soul growth and expansion. So even within that team, within that pair, there's a nod to Yes, impulses for love and sex or signatures, blueprints for love and sex. Those are different things. And we want to look at them in their wholeness and then see how they chat with each other. So let's take a a step back for those folks who are astrologically stupid, ignorant, (laughs) not stupid. They're learning. There we go. Um, So what, what the heck does it mean where your Venus is, where your Mars is? Like what? So take us all the way to the very beginning. So if we, if we're sitting down with you, with our charts in front of us, we're looking at a snapshot of the sky at the time that we were born. And this snapshot turns into a little bit of an energetic imprint. And it is an amazing map for us to look at, to say, I can learn so much about myself and my strengths and my challenges and my fears and my fantasies and my glitches and my golden shit. I can learn so much by looking at the energetics in this map. So I look at this map and when it comes to Venus and Mars, I might say, well, where is my Venus? And why does it matter? And what the hell is she doing there? And why is she different there than anything else, right? So we start with Venus, we start with that planet and we say, Well, what sign is she in? She is in one of 12 astrological signs. Then we layer the next lens in and we say, okay, what house is she in? She is in one of 12 
thematic houses or kind of content areas in a chart. And then once we think we know her sign and her house, we look at how she relates to all the other bodies in the chart. Who was she happily speaking to? Who does she want to avoid? Who is she sitting next to? And what does it mean when all those players play together? So for example, if we look at my chart, we would say, this is a person with a Venus in the sign of Sagittarius in the seventh house. And that translates to, hey, this is a person whose love and friendship and relational signature is in a sign that is powerfully expansive. It's about learning. It's about art. It's philosophical. It's adventurous. It sees the game in things. And then we would say, oh, that character, interesting character, where does she live? Oh, in this person's chart, she lives in the seventh house. She lives in the house of marriage. She lives in the house of long-term relationships. So in someone's, in my chart, we would say, hey, Venus and Sag in the seventh house. This is to say that in your world, for this person, they are a spectacular romantic with a capital R in the sense that they see love as this um, incredible game, which is loaded with philosophy and deep meaning and knowledge and wisdom and self-expression and expansion. This is someone who wants to liberate themselves and others through the way they love them right? Super different signature, super different signature from someone who may have a Venus in Taurus, perhaps, or a Venus in Cancer. So by knowing what sign your Venus is in, you get the flavor of how she operates. And by popping her into the house in your chart where she lives, you see in what area of your world she's in her strength. If we do that with the Venus and we do that with the Mars, because of course we're really doing that with all the planets and all the asteroids, that's what we do when we do the chart. But say we look at those two, we can then bring to that person at the table this expanded awareness of all the multiplicities inside them. And my goal is always to have someone befriend all the parts of them. There is no pathology in the chart. I'm not talking for five fucking seconds about this is bad. This is a nope, like shit's hard, shit's real, and we work with it. But every part of us needs a chance to pull to the front and get some expression, particularly in the realms of love and sex, right? Because understandably, what gets stuffed and doesn't get attention, that's a problem. So by using this astrological um, symbolic language, we start to understand parts of the love and the sex responses in us. Sometimes we didn't have a language for it until then. I mean, I will, so many people sit at the table and I explain these things to them and they're just like jaw dropping, you know, like pinwheel eyes and just saying, yeah, um, yes, 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 yeah, yeah, I don't know. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? And I want to be able to say, Excellent. We now can move to how to live it. 
but recognizing those placements, knowing your Venus, knowing your Mars. And then if you have someone, you know, someone like myself looking at asteroids, we do the same thing. You will learn the sign the asteroid is in, where that asteroid is placed and how that shows up in your world. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> it sounds like uh, the graphic designers would recognize like layering, um, yes, putting yes, things yes. or gels uh, for a camera. Yeah. Oh, or... that's a great one. That's a really good one. Yeah. The way I sometimes think of it is like, and this is my Mercury and Scorpio showing, right? I think that I've got these like detective glasses, these lenses, and I'm just clicking them into place one on top of the other. And when I look through all of those lenses, then I really crack it. You know, then I've really got what's at the bottom because I've used those multiple lenses. Sign, house, aspect. Those are the conversations. Is your Venus in a happy conversation, say, with your planet Saturn? Is she in not such a great conversation with your Mars? You know, these are things that help us say, hey, here's some stuff that I bump up against. Or here's some stuff that's super easy for me. This feels so flowing like I, I just I carry this around in my pocket it's amazing I don't even think about it but by becoming conscious of those it I have seen it fundamentally change the way people can experience the erotic among other places in their life certainly so going back to the original question which was are love and sex different in the chart it sounds like they're having a conversation yes yep That's they are they are autonomous. They have their own non-human human personhood. Love and sex are different characters, but you bet they're in conversation. Additionally, of course, they're in conversation with uh, the pieces of our chart that have to do with health or um, how well-resourced we are or our heritage or our ancestry or all of that. But yes, they are in conversation. So the the thing that prompted me to specifically say, hey, Linda, come chat with me on my show was <laughs> I, posted, <laughs> I posted that I was going to be interviewing a foot fetishist, which hopefully will happen. <laughs> and you said, I wonder where his blank is. Yes. What, what, I, won I, wondered, <laughs> I wondered what placements they had in Pisces because here is a kind of goofy but um incredibly helpful information piece of information to have if you if you consider the field of medical astrology this is the ancient practice still in uh, effect i certainly have people that i help them book surgery like depending what part of the body their surgery is on right we look at certain moon times Medical astrology is a body of wisdom where the 12 zodiacal signs are each in rulership over different parts of the body. And so my kind of sassy comment, born of actual information, was because it was a foot fetish guest, I wondered where their placements in Pisces were, because Pisces is the sign that rules the feet. So... In when we look at sexual astrology and we look at our erotic impulse, I'm looking not just 
at the strength of the Venus and Mars and the sign they're in to look at, um, let's just say associated body parts and systems. I am also looking at things like, well, where is your moon? And what part of the body does your moon rule? And therefore say when you're having sex and you're in a super tender and vulnerable place and say that moon kicks in, what part of your body then becomes either a heightened turn on or you want to say, no, thank you. No, not permission for that today, right? I'm holding that for myself today. So that medical astrology piece has a, a life and a presence in this kind of erotic print. Um, you know, we could say, I do a, um, in the work I do in the erotic with folks when I'm looking at their chart, and I'm also asking, of course, specific questions about turn on and the things that they like and the things they don't. And so many times I'm also trying to create a pleasure map in their body and locate the parts of the body where things are a yes. And I'm telling you so many damn times <laughs> you look, people talk about the parts of the, their turn ons, the parts of the body. And I'm just sitting there with their chart. Like, yeah, I think I got you. You're, you're exactly right. Cause I'm looking at it. Oh, you know, um, it's weird. You wouldn't think that I really, and I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't think I'm looking at it, you know, and it's, it's, a great funny thing so that's what made me make the sassy comment <laughs> i i love it i i i would love to see like a survey you know not offending anybody or or getting you know anonymous for people who are not feeling it but like you know of, of all the different varieties of fetishes of which there are too many to count but of the of the main basics <laughs> right so they're so like people who are into needle oh, play yeah. what 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 things are they into people who are into impact what you know dominance yes. like i think it's fascinating yes absolutely i think it, it is so um there you know as you and i know in this field there are umpteen quizzes and assessments and all these ways that we say um, well, let's find out what type of this we are and what type of that we are. And some of them can be really incredible tools for dialogue, really helpful. To me, that chart is like a, um, that is the quiz that I can go back to every damn time and really count on it. When I'm trying to help someone bridge to pleasure or we're trying to understand why they, it, what it is that, um, that has them ask for sex or not ask for sex, all these things like coming back to the chart. So fetishes, absolutely, like absolutely that appears. The conditions under which it sounds kind of fresh, like it's a union contract or something, but the, the circumstances, the environment, right, that you need to be in to feel um, really comfortable and safe and confident and vulnerable in order to thrive erotically. I can frequently speak to that in a chart and it gives us some leverage. Sometimes a client will want to jump in so much and they don't yet have the language for it. So I get to help by using the chunks of the chart to say, hmm, you know, Mars and Libra, huh? So, you know, what do you, what do you think about open relationship? You know, like I kind of made these little do these little squishy um opportunities to have them look at things 
differently. And fetishes are certainly one I have discussed in this office before related to the chart. <laughs> I love that you can use that as a tool to help people because it so many people need so much help and don't even have the language to ask for the help. I think that by coming to you, you're they're coming around in a what would feel like a, a circumstance or around the bend way, but you can really pinpoint the thing. It has been having having the chart as the anchor for the conversation. It is both deeply personal and then sort of transpersonal, right? Because it's such big deal shit that we're talking about. So it can let a client feel absolutely confident that we're talking about their business. They're very specific. Like we get really into it. And then I can remind them, you know, folks with this placement, all the folks with this placement, sometimes they experience it like this, or this is a thing to consider. And then I stretch the frame out a little bit to give them a sense of, um, well, certainly that they're not the only person who's looking at or challenged by or excited by or any particular topic. But I want to keep shifting that frame between like the personal and the collective and help them to situate their individual erotic body within the larger erotic body and just have an awareness that that's even there. Like, you know, one of my intake questions when people are doing specifically sexuality work with me is what does the word erotic mean to you? That's a very big first important first question. And certainly the way they answer it, I could see evidence of within the chart. And it's so important to make sure that they get a very broad frame in which to kind of test the waters and see what might they say. That's that's great. And that's a huge question. I, I, as you asked it, I was like, I don't know how I would answer that. Um, and it shifts on every given day. And that is also normal. People go through all sorts of changes throughout their lifetime, sometimes within an hour. Uh, and it's, it's, it's often, you know, when I speak about the erotic to people, to clients, I'm reminding them that the erotic is a profoundly and deeply about sex but is not limited to, it is right. sensual, it is cerebral, it is spiritual. It is such a magnificent force. So I'll never forget one time sitting with someone not too long ago and we were doing the process with her. But then I said to her, go ahead, if you feel comfortable. She had two partners and she said, if you feel like bringing these questions to them and it feels safe and comfortable and you're interested in their game, ask them any of these questions. So she asked one of them the question about what is the erotic? And he was just like, he couldn't get past fishnets. It was like, it was all fishnets. It was like 24 seven fishnets, you know? And for this, this, the, my main client, it's like, she is a fucking force of nature. Like, wow. Her expression of the erotic is so many things. It's mystical. It's nonverbal. It's deeply neurodivergent. I mean, so many things, you know? <laughs> so we were like, all right, we got some fishnets. Like, 
how do we bridge the fish? You know, <laughs> but it's it's just one of those things that you're right. It's there's an evolving answer, and so there should be. I mean, that's the whole thing is that our learning and our growth, and if we're in communion with the erotic, this is going to change. We're going to go places with it. How do you, Linda? take the astrology of what's happening today or this week or this month or whatever, and translate that to people. I know. So for like generic horoscopes, like Rob Bresney, who's one of my yeah. favorite generic yeah, horoscope people, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the poetry, he does such lovely poetry. He, he's looking at where the signs are in what the houses are and just yes. sort of making a all Capricorns feel this. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I think it might have been you. It might have been someone else who taught me to also look at the rising sign. Ah, uh, that was me. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So that's for a big generic, every Capricorn or whatever. What happens when you narrow it down to a person? Yes, that's great. So those horoscopes, like Rob Bresney and so many others, those are what we call sun sign horoscopes. And they can be fucking great info. And they can just like, ring the bell and feed you in a way that you need. But when I'm working with a chart, I'm considering someone's sun, moon, Mercury, Mars, Venus, Saturn, Jupiter, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and a shit ton of asteroids, (laughs) more asteroids every day. I'm a little out there in love with the asteroids. So how do I possibly take all those beings, reconcile them and sit with someone? Well, what, that's the process of looking at someone's transits, which is the way in which the sky in real time speaks to their unique imprint of a chart. So probably the transit that people are the most familiar with, even if they don't feel like they know a whole lot about astrology, is the Saturn return. The Saturn return is when we're between 28 and 30. And that shit is unmistakable, right? We know it's, hap- it's happening. It's a thing. Well, we experience many transits all day long, every day of our life. And so it's my job to take what's happening in the sky and sort of localize it into the body of someone's chart and say, whoa, well, for example, this weekend, here comes Mars into Scorpio. He'll be in Scorpio for the month of November 2021, as well as the first two weeks of December 2021, six weeks. Here comes Mars in Scorpio. Hasn't been in there in a while. That is his, the place he loves to be. Well, let's look at your chart and let's discover what that means to you to have his visit in whatever house or sector of your chart is there. And who is he going to visit when he comes around? Is your Venus there in that spot for you? Yeah. Is your uh, Pluto there for a whole slew of people, the Pluto and Scorpio generation? Yes. So how the planets in the sky in real time are visiting and speaking with that imprint inside you, that is how I am able to give people, you know, an incredibly detailed personal horoscope with transits and help them to shape what they're doing in their world. I mean, this is very practical stuff. Do I take the job? Do I not take the job? Do I sign the mortgage? What am I thinking about this? The fucking well is busted on this land. We didn't know. I mean, 
so much. And all those conversations happen as we track the chart and how it works with us. And there are definitely transits that speak deeply about love or love and sex. Anytime Venus is traveling around in the sky, as Venus travels around, she is having conversations with things in our chart. If we have something called a Venus return, when the Venus in the sky matches where she was when we were born, I had this just a couple of days ago, she was actually there. Um, a Venus return is the special marker of saying, hmm, how am I enacting the rituals of love and beauty according to the design that I have been given to be here with? I want to take a look at that. Things, things may become clear to me during that transit that were not before, or I may feel super encouraged by the yeses of what I am doing. So it's through that kind of methodical process, there's heavy method, there's tremendous metaphor, metaphysics, magic, and it's all loaded in together. So every planet makes a return. I so well, every planet in the sky is on the move. But in terms of returns, because the outer planets are so dang far away and they move so slowly, if we are fortunate and we live to be 84 years old, we experience a Uranus return. That's absolutely true. But we will not as humans, though the more than human critters and intelligences on our planets, they will have these. We do not have a Neptune return or a, Nept or a Pluto return because they're just moving so slowly. That makes sense. But we do have, well, we have a solar return. That's our birthday every year. We have many little lunar returns because she's moving through the signs every, she moves through all 12 signs every month. So once every four weeks or so, depending where that moon is, you get to have a mini lunar return, you know, and then Mercury, Mars, Venus, Saturn, Jupiter. Yeah, they're lining up and making those returns. I've always thought of Saturn's return as sort of setting you up for the next phase that you, you go through a thing. It's usually a fairly dramatic thing, although you might not recognize it in the moment. Um, but then on the other side, you've, you've, whatever it was that you were doing has now set you up for the next 26, eight years of life. So is it yes. like that with the other planets that are making their return? So is Venus setting us up That's for the next question. beauty, money, uh, sexuality? Yes. Yep. Super good question. Because when Saturn is doing his return, it is in his nature. His entire purpose is to make you the sovereign to put to make you the boss of your world to grant you inner authority so you go through the rites of passage he teaches through constriction you think it's a total bitch you think it's a personal punishment p.s you just totally <laughs> figured out you know how to do the adulting of the world as we call it right so if that's what saturn's goal is during a return then yes, it makes sense that when we look at these other planets, we would say, what are you coming back by to talk about? And yes, Venus is always going to want to talk about love and beauty. 
And Mars swings back and he is going to want to say to you, yeah, what have you been doing? What have you been getting done? You know, like, you got to say it with a Brooklyn where, accent. Where is that? <laughs> oh, he's, this is his way of, of doing it. If you have your lunar return much more subtle, this is the one that you're getting, what, 12 a year, pretty much much more subtle because your moon is your interior world. So this could be anything from little like psychic flash that's particularly remarkable, um, wacky call from your mom on the phone, uh, things with some of your friends. I mean, this, this is a much more subtle thing, but by no means less than or less um, impactful when you have them. We could also talk about the upcoming Venus retrograde. There's a Venus retrograde that begins in the middle of December and it goes through the month of January. We get the, so this is for the whole human family. doesn't matter what your chart is. This is just what she's doing in the sky. And she'll do this about every year and a half. We understand that when a planet goes retrograde, they're not really driving backward. They're not really traveling backward. It is, um, it appears as though they are to our eye and to our spirit, to our energetic body, to the realities of our day. A retrograde really does mean a slowing, a stopping, and a reflection. So when Venus goes retrograde, what she's saying is, I'm going into the underworld for a time. In fact, she goes for 40 days and 40 nights and she disappears from the sky. This is a way of experiencing the kind of underworld journey. I think about, and I know you're familiar with this story, but other friends might not know this one. I think about the story of Inanna, remembering that Inanna, who's the queen of heaven and earth, goes to the underworld and descends to visit her sister, Erishkagel, who's essentially the queen of hell, queen of the lower world. Now, in order for Inanna to get down there, to go down there, she has to pass through seven stations or seven gates. And at every gate, she has to relinquish one of her very blingy, queenly accoutrements, right? So in the, ba- in the passage, in the ancient passage, we go through the process with her. She has to take off her crown. She has to put down her scepter. She gets stripped of all of that glitz and glam. And I'm at the front of the pack. I'm the queen. And she ends up in the underworld completely naked in front of her sister. And this is like a death and resurrection process that she goes through. When Venus is retrograde, it is like in some measure a death and resurrection process. Now that sounds really fucking scary to say, what is this? Is everybody getting a fucking divorce during a Venus retrograde? What can this mean? It means that she is not at the height of her power. She needs a timeout. She has an interior process that she needs privacy for. And so the things that she is in dominion over, love and beauty and aesthetics and cash money (laughs) and resources, there is a real challenge in times to those things when Venus is retrograde. 
And of course, it does make it very impactful on relationships. Depending where it happens in your chart, and this is why it's so important to have someone you do specific chart work with, you get to locate where is this happening in my world. Say you were having a Venus retrograde upon your Venus or upon your sun or your Mars, we would easily be able to say, whoo, you're going to be thinking about stuff quite a bit at this time. Like you're going to need to slow down. You're probably going to need to tap out, take a break and look and feel through these things. For some friends, if the Venus retrograde happens and it impacts nothing in their chart and the rare but absolutely possible case, it touches nothing, doesn't oppose anything, doesn't square it, doesn't even have a conversation. Yes, they still feel the general frame of that, but maybe they don't feel it as keenly as their friend who experiences it somewhere else. So I think to mention this, because I start to think about the Venus retrograde that is coming during the time that she is retrograde, which is important enough for us to observe just on its own. But this particular time, she retrogrades with the planet Pluto. Pluto in our charts is the Lord of the underworld. He's about shadow. Pluto in a chart can indicate obsession and fetish and power play and all that dark stuff, right? Like yank Persephone down there and have a ball, you know, like that's the kind of thing. So if Venus and Pluto are conjunct in Capricorn, where they will be during this Venus retrograde, it's a, it's no small moment. I mean, it really, there's a way that I think that the human family in the United States certainly globally, but with a particular nod to the United States, that we will be experiencing the true cost, the invisible cost of this pandemic. It will become clearer to people what has genuinely been lost. And I talk about this in frames of relationship, social bonds and structures, our economic realities, our health realities, like I think there some things will become clear to people that they were not yet able to sit with in this moment. And certainly some of it will have to do with love and sex. Thank you. Are are there more things coming up that in say the next few months that we should be aware of? I can speak about the month of November if um you know, if I won't be put on toward the end, if, if it helps to have a November frame, sure, I can speak about um, that Mars and Scorpio. So Mars and Scorpio does uh, have the month of November as a flashpoint. It um, awakens and activates for all of us, regardless of our chart, it awakens and activates this conversation that's been going on all year long between freedom and liberation, between duty and um, expansion. Like the, the signature of this year, the Saturn-Uranus square, which has played out in every geopolitical decision that I have witnessed all year long, so many ways. It's part of the supply chain issue. It's part of the 
we can't find workers issue. It's just alive in so many places. That aspect gets heightened by Mars and Scorpio in November. And what we want to consider is that there will be information, secrets, stories, things that have been submerged that will be coming to the surface. This is personal and transpersonal. This is just the signature of the time. We'll have to be able to do some shadow work or being able to sit with our darkness and darkness at large. So the run of months from November, December, and January, they are intense. They are deeply intense. Um, I look forward to February when Jupiter re-enters Pisces, absolutely. But in the meanwhile, the end of this year and the beginning of the next year, there's a lot for all of us to hold to. And it's times like, it's times with this level of intensity that I find this process of erotic reclamation of utmost importance. Because when all this shit is exploding all over the place, if you can reach deeply into yourself and into another, and if we can reach consent to re reach deeply into each other, like, and make this kind of connective magic, this is what gets us through. It's what absolutely would, it's not spiritual bypassing. We're not bullshitting. We want to get straight. We put our eyes on the issue, deal with it, be right there with it. And it does not own us. It cannot colonize us. It does not have permission because there's something wild and hot and magic and you can have that. And if you can keep your hands to that part of you, even if you could keep like a fingertip to that part of you through the next months, um, you will be in a much better place to be able to sit with, um, you know, the real message of the times. Well, I, I just want to mention that engaging in shadow work is so important in general um, that our tendency is to go, no, it hurts and push it away, um, yes. which just en ends up making the thing an infection and then it gets pussy and gross and then you heal over it and then you don't get to it. And then, and then you're in pain for the rest of your life or until you sit back down with this piece of whatever it is that hurt um, yes. is something that comes up with clients a lot. And you just have to accept that sometimes it hurts and to sit with it and to feel it and to go through it because truly the only way to actually heal is to go through it instead of push it away. So it's very absolutely that, that we're doing this yeah. on a, on a global collective basis is yes. a little bit terrifying because yeah, yeah. <laughs> most people are not willing to sit with that shadow piece. Yes. And even those who may talk a good game at being able to or wanting to do that, we're just going to really be getting into the squeeze. Just let that be understood. We are really getting into the squeeze. And so this work becomes this it's no longer optional you, you want to go to the next world like let's we need we're going we're like linking arms and we're going and we're ripping off the band-aid <laughs> like, and so having a you know having 
people around you, right, who can hold that space and who can can say, yeah, I see what you're doing. I see how hard it is. And um, this is part of this collective liberation. Having this knowledge, this piece of information as a framework is exceptionally helpful for me. I can only imagine that it's going to be exceptionally helpful for people who listen into that. And I'm going to bump it up and make sure that it gets played sooner than later. Um, Because that's amazing. And, And actually, it makes me want to ask, I know I'm taking up your time, but would you be willing to come back and do this again in like three months and, and have like a, a regular yeah, quarterly? Oh, that would be great. I would love to come back in February or come back to, you know, talk about uh, February and beyond, because then we can have a Jupiter and Pisces foot fetish discussion. I mean, he's going to be there. He loves to throw money at things, you know. I'll take like the money. Yeah. Little pedicures. He's gonna be there. So oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So I at some that. point in the next whatever, we'll ping and make another appointment. And um, this is great because we are yeah. coming up on an hour and I do value you and your time. I don't want to keep you all day, although I could ask you all the things. Um <laughs> <laughs> however, are you accepting clients at the moment? Are people are yes. Okay. I so sure how do people am. find yeah. you? Um, People can find my work at lindariverValente.net. You can also find me on Facebook, Linda River Valente, and I'll be launching my Patreon shortly. And that will give people the chance to receive weekly audio forecasts, virtual altar work, additional audio. I do have a membership platform level that is called Erotic Oracular. And yes, there will be the hot and heavy sexy business stuff. That is the Venus tier, no surprise. Um, So that Patreon will come out. People will be able to look at the memberships. But if you just want session, you want to say, I've never had my chart done. Everybody, I don't know, should I? I'm interested, right? And you've never even, never thought that you might do it. Or I would love, I certainly am accepting clients. I love it. So find me and, and we'll book. And, and as far as a, a testimonial, Linda is easy and comforting and uh, not judgmental and lovely to work with. I would highly recommend her. Um, so please Thank do. You. So Linda, what excites you? Ooh, um, conversations like this excite me for sure. Um, what excites me also is... Um, I'm about to have my 45th birthday in a week. It's a week from my birthday's just after Halloween. Um, Something that excites me is being in your late 40s is fucking awesome. I would not be trading back. I am not trading back. Like deeply humbling all the way around, but I'm so loving it. I'm really looking. Even every bit of chaos I'm going through some brutal transits right now, some Uranus transits that are ridiculous. And still what excites me is like this potential, the richness, the nuance of this time in my life and being able to reach out and sit with people in a time like this, that really excites me. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been really, really great. You're so welcome. Um, Super excited about your Patreon. I will also be launching a Patreon very shortly. Um, and part of what I'm going to be asking oh, awesome. 
what a uh, part of what I'm going to be doing is encouraging people to ask me questions to ask my guests. So perhaps by the next time that we chat, we'll have some some listener questions too. That would be super cool. Oh, that would be so awesome. I'd love that. All right. This has been great. And it's so lovely to catch up and see your face. Thank you so much. I know, same. Thank you. Hey friends, I'm Leah Carey, inviting you to listen to Good Girls Talk About Sex, where I interview everyday women about their sex lives. You know, I want to be like pushed against the wall, like in the movies. <laughs> this feels good, but do I look fat? That always turned me on, but I don't think I've admitted that to my husband. Have sex with women. <laughs> Highly recommend. Good Girls Talk About Sex is here to remind you, you're not alone and your desires are completely normal. Listen in your favorite podcast app today. Oh man, that was so good. I've listened to it at least three times since recording it, and I'm still comprehending stuff I didn't grok the first time around. What did you think? I'd love to hear, and you can tell me all about that at whatexcitesus.com. You can record an anonymous voicemail right there at the site. Of course, you can always rate and review the show wherever you're listening. That would also be super helpful because it helps us be heard by more people. I also want to be sure to let you know that Linda's Patreon is indeed open and it looks fantastic. I'm hoping to finagle coming in on the Jupiter level soon because I love the idea of getting goodies every month. But I'm starting with Mercury. There will be links to it and more included in the show notes. Sadly, my Patreon is not live yet, but it will be soon, so stay tuned. What Excites Us is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Gwyn Isaacs. All music is used under the Creative Commons Attribution License. This week it includes The Vendetta by Steven Kartenberg and Harmony by Polly Plus. Tickle.life hosts this and many other podcasts about sex and sexuality and has a bunch of other great content. Check them out. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate you.